Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Today's episode is brought to you by ModMed. Do your EHR and PM adapt to your style of practice? The ModMed EHR and PM do, with benefits like remembering preferences and automatically suggesting documentation and billing codes. Urologists voted ModMed the number one urology-specific EHR and PM solution available, built by urologists with input from yours truly. Stop wasting 60 minutes and 200 for each of your open or no-show slot. Go to modmed.com slash prsnetwork. Set up an appointment with the team at ModMed Urology and shift your urology practice into high gear. Imagine a solution on a tablet or the web that works seamlessly with revenue cycle management, analytics, telehealth, payment processing, patient engagement tools, and much more. ModMed is transforming healthcare by placing doctors and patients at the center of care. Welcome to episode 146 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And today, we want to do some more frequently asked questions. We have a lot of questions coming into our community, which is the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Group, which you can sign up for free if you go to episode page, uh, any of our podcast pages. We have that listed. But if you want to go to this specific episode, Go to prsnetwork.com forward slash 146, and on there, there's a link to sign up for the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Group. You can see what's ask, being asked out there and answer some questions if you can. So, all right, um, we're going to cover four different questions today, and the first one, we'll just dive right in. The first one is from Alex, and Alex asks, I'm trying to understand the multiple procedure payment reduction rules for the OPPS slash ASC payments for endoscopic procedures. Do I use the standard 100%, 50%, 50% discounting rules for OPPS slash ASC payments, or do I use the special rules that apply to the professional fees for endoscopic procedures? All right. It's all yours. Mark, what do you got? Well, all right. So this answer is not straightforward in the way that you would like it to be. Um, (laughs) So um, the APC and the multiple payment rules under OPPS. um, So OPPS, ASC rates, right? So OPPS is the outpatient perspective payment system. It actually has an entirely different set of rules applied to multi multiple procedures. And to really get a grip on this and to fully explain it, we'd have to do a, a rather deep dive. Um, but what you're going to need to do is actually access Addendum B um, for the OPPS uh, payment structure um, that is released quarterly. Um, and there are status indicators for each HICPICS code. Um, some codes are considered to be bundled all the time. Some codes are considered to be 
uh, comprehensive APCs in which multiple procedures on the same date are never uh, billed any, or there's not any additional payment for those codes. Um, some codes are considered bundled um, and only get paid separately if they're charged on their own. Um, so there's a there's a, a a plethora of additional rules that are applied under the OPPS. But if if they are payable, the final calculations um, go with 150. Um, so. Um, if you can navigate the first set, the second set's a little bit easier. Um, but the status indicators with composite APCs, there's STVs, J1s, J2s, Q1s, and Q2s. So there's not a real good way for me to explain it to you here. Um, it's definitely a deeper dive. Um, but I am going to point you to uh, Addendum B to take a look at the procedure code you're talking about and see what their indications are. And then finally, I would take a look at chapter four of the internet manual, um, the internet only manual. Chapter four, um, as you might imagine, has to deal with uh, inpatient part B and OPPS. So, um, chapter four, Part B Hospital, and it does include the OPPS, and that is where you want to look. And then um, you want to read through really uh, paragraphs 10, which I say paragraphs because there's a lot of 10 points that are in there that I'll, that'll kind of walk you through all those things. And if you still end up with uh, some questions, then maybe we another question or a more detailed question uh, directly would be a way to help you out. Ray, any comments on that? No. All right. Very good. Let's move on to the uh, next question. The next question is uh, from Jennifer. And Jennifer is asking a question about an inner stem procedure that's discontinued. And basically, the patient had an attempted patient had an attempted insertion of the inner stem procedure stage one. Uh, however, the procedure was stopped because the surgeon was unable to visualize the sacrum completely. He did try and pass a needle in the area where the S3 foramen should have been, but was unsuccessful. Procedure was stopped, and all the needles were removed. Uh, and she says that Medicaid is denying the 64561-53, uh, stating they were they want the anatomical modifier. However, I'm unable to determine from the op note what side he planned on placing the electrodes. After reviewing this, I'm wondering if the 64561-53 would even be correct since he did not truly start the procedure. Love your thoughts on this. All right, Mark, you want to break that down? Well, it, that is a very specific denial rel relative to Medicaid. Um, so we'd probably need to know a little bit more um, uh, about your state Medicaid program and what their issues are surrounding 64561. Um, so there might be an, an anatomical modifier 
like DRT and LT that you would at that point in time talk to your doc if to find out which side they worked on if you can't find it from the note. But I do think that the 52 modifier would have been more appropriate here um, uh, relative to a discontinuation. And the second thing is, um, you know, that whole 52, 53 on when a procedure truly starts, um, it does sound and, you know, uh, we don't have the the true um, detail behind your question. Um, but if the, you know, the patient was prepped, ready to go, they had all of their uh, locals uh, or regionals or whatever type of anesthesia, uh, if you're using that or analgesia for those particular, for this particular case, um, if that was being used um, and the needles were started, it does look like some of the needles were inserted to try and get ready. So uh, you've at least started the procedure and I don't uh, or can't think of another procedure code that would describe what you had done to that point. Um, but that would, to me, be more of a 52 in the fact that this was discontinued or stopped because the, the visual field wasn't appropriate. So at the election of the physician, um, that would be more appropriate with a 52, whereas 53 typically is discontinued because the patient is having significant issues um, and is uh, and, and you elected to, or at that point in time, stop the procedure because of patient safety risk. That's typically where 53 would go. So I would look at potentially looking at a 52, but because they requested an anatomical modifier specifically, you may have some additional issues relative to Medicaid that I would talk to my physicians and see if they could help you clarify which side that was on as my next step. Ray, comments? I totally agree. Uh, I would uh, comply with what they requested and put, I think you would only be stuck with a right or left, one or the other. But Mark is absolutely correct. This would fit the 52 modifier and not the 53. So resubmit it with the 52 in the L2 or R, I mean LT or RT. All right. Let's uh, move on to the next question. Uh, the next question we had was uh, about the No Surprises Act. And Blanca asks, do we have to provide a good faith estimate for a new patient visit too, or just for high dollar services like a surgery? Um, example, so in a self, so if a self-pay patient, new patient comes in and there's no surgery or any other services provided or needed, uh, just a new patient visit, do we need to provide this patient with a good faith estimate for the visit? So I'm assuming that this is asked to be like, do they need to let the patient know what the charge is before the visit occurs? Um, so generally that's a good idea. Um, I mean, most practices I work with um, have developed a cash pay new patient visit fee um, 
that they let the patient know about. And, and quite frankly, it should be collected before the patient walks in the, the walks in for the service, which would be, which would fit the good face est- estimate. Cause you're actually, uh, providing, <laughs> you're, you're, you're collecting up front. Um, so I don't think you'd have any issues there with the no surprise act. Um, you know, it, it, the no surprise act across the board is really focused on, elective surgeries um, or elective services uh, that are going to be provided um, for patients that you already know um, and are uh, directing to a particular service. Now, you do have some leeway with those patients that you cannot communicate with or uh, because of circumstances prior to that you need to let them know about those ongoing services that they deal with, but those are really focused on those emergency settings. So um, I guess to to look at your question and trying to to deal with that one straight up, um, I would say I would encourage you for a self-paid new patient with no surgery or any other services, just a new patient visit, Again, my recommendation would be to charge up front uh, before you see the patient so you don't have to chase. So basically setting up a, a way to handle that and a way to charge for that as a general office policy is a good, good, a best practice. Correct. All right. Ray, thoughts? Totally agree. Okay. Okay. Final question we have uh, from Denise. Uh, when a ureteral surgery, like a pyeloplasty or a ureterostomy, is performed and a stent is placed at the end of the surgery to promote healing, is it separately billable, the 52332? Or is this an inherent part of the surgery on the ureter? I have a conflicting resource, but the most recent in 2018 states it is not separately billed if placed in the same ureter to promote to promote healing and if it was to be placed in the opposite ureter for example for uh, hydronephrosis this might be a billable service correct thank you all right so on this one um you know you've got a couple of different things to research and and you know, generally speaking, stents, drains, catheters, those types of things that are placed as part of the healing process are, in fact, um, considered a part of the procedure. So that's where that 2018 resource talks about uh, those particular issues. So you've got to have a reason for doing the service. Um, but the other thing with a lot of pyeloplasties and ureterostomies is those placements of the stents are actually not done uh, in a manner that would qualify for a 52332, um, that those stents are placed not uh, retrograde using a scope, but during the open procedure, they're placed and the the anastomosis or the work is done um, around that. So you wouldn't actually have done the work to qualify for a 52332. And then finally, of course, you've got the consideration of 
what do the bundling edits say? Um, and what is a normal part of the procedure? So you may recall that as we've always talked about with global procedures, you know, the standard operating protocol is really what the RVU work value is built around. Um, so if it is a very common part of that procedure to leave a stent in place, um, and it's part of that overall value, then <clears throat> it typically is not charged separately. You shouldn't look for charging it separately. But if it was set a, a different effort, different approach, um, then you want to take a look at where this NCCI is um, in that process and then think about the medical necessity of that service relative to that procedure in its entirety. And again, that kind of loops back to that 2018 uh, that you referenced, but it is really part of the global that you're thinking about that if in fact it's part of the procedure, it's part of the procedure. Ray, what are your thoughts? Oh, I totally agree with Mark. Uh, it's a, you know, in about three parts there that you'd have to go around in order to charge that. First, as Mark made very clear, the 52332 it has to be a cystoscopy with stent insertion. And then you've got the bundling edits. And if it's bundled and you put it up strictly for healing, then you should not use a modifier to unbundle it. So uh, you, you've got a couple of strikes that would say don't charge it right there. And then if it's a routine part of the procedure, you wouldn't want to charge it even if it wasn't unbundled. You, you All right. Well, uh, well done. <laughs> yeah, that was that was well said. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Um, I will. Uh, remind you all that uh, the urology coding and reimbursement, uh, I mean, the urology advanced coding and reimbursement seminar is open for registration. If you go to this episode page, there is a special discount code for our podcast listeners. So that is at prsnetwork.com forward slash 146 for episode 146. All right, let's get some final thoughts. Mark. Lead us off. Uh, well, let's see. Um, we covered a few different things today and a lot of different circumstances. So um, one, I would have to say, uh, you know, going back to kind of our first question is that, you know, the OPPS and the payment for ambulatory surgical centers is really a different beast than the billing for professional services, different fee schedules, different rules. Um, different controls. Um, so if you want to uh, develop some additional skills on the Ambulatory Surgical Center or the OPPS, uh, you've got a new book to read um, <laughs> uh, for that one. And then, you know, for, for some of the other questions we talked about today, um, you know, we've got to go back and in the end, understand the general packages of global surgery, 
um, and you know some of the the under uh, the underlying circumstances of what would constitute a full procedure to help us understand what's a part of a procedure and what's included. So um, that that understanding of what a, the global package includes and what it doesn't really does drive a lot of your decisions on how deep you want to dive in order to try and get paid or how you want to explain how you got paid or in final, how you want to appeal or not appeal um, based on how you build uh, your services and what the documentation supports. Ray, your thoughts? Well, it's just uh, re-emphasizes the fact that devil is in the detail. It has to start with the documentation and then correct coding and correct billing and then correct interpretation of the uh, denial if it's denied. Indeed. Okay. We'll wrap this up. Uh, just want to uh, say thank you again to ModMed for sponsoring this episode. Um, if you get a chance, check out their practice management and EHR solutions. You can visit modmed.com forward slash PRS network for uh, different specials that are offered to our podcast listeners. So we think ModMed. All right, with that, let's end this here. Ray, take us out. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, the Juice Room.